my name is Adrian Goldberg and welcome to the Byline Times podcast. The Byline Times telling you what the papers don't say, what the radio doesn't report and what telly doesn't tell you. This is a special bonus edition looking at the murder of private investigator Daniel Morgan in 1987 and the extraordinary decision by Home Secretary Priti Patel to delay publication of an independent report, a mere eight years in the making, about the botched investigation into his death. It's a story that combines crime, politics and the media. Byline Times co-founder Peter Jukes made a hugely successful untold podcast series about the case and has also written a book about it with Daniel's brother Alistair. I spoke to him about the latest twist in this sorry tale, along with Byline Times editor Hardeep Matharu, who sees a disturbing pattern in the delayed publication. First Peter, with a quick catch-up on the details of Daniel's grisly death. Well, on 10th of March 1987, Daniel Morgan, a private detective in South London, was axed to death in a car park, in a pub in Sydenham, in a remote car park round the back, which he never really went to. It wasn't one of his favourite pubs. And out of that, murder has spawned the, well, as far as we know, the most investigated murder in British history. So he was there to meet his business partner. Business partner left. He goes back to his car and is found about 40 minutes later by a BBC producer, oddly enough, with the axe still embedded in his cheek. He'd been struck three times from behind with a hand axe. And then what happened was the first murder inquiry, the five of them, (laughs) the first one fell apart, basically, because one of the senior investigating officers was arrested as a suspect, along with Daniel's business partner. And then there was an investigation into that. That fell apart. And there were three more investigations every time. And if you get to know Alistair, the turmoil of the family, this went on 20 years. And every point, the problem was, the key problem of police corruption is the evidence wasn't there, was untrustworthy. And eventually there was a trial set up. Six people arrested, allegations of a getaway man, two assailants, a brothers-in-law of business partner and this police officer but it all fell apart partly because of supergrass evidence but actually what really killed it in 2011 the longest pre-trial hearing you know you have these hearings before trial testing the evidence was there were over a million bits of evidence and because it involved police corruption from the get-go there's a very successful defense which is still ongoing today well you can't trust anything the police do ever and because it involves such high stakes for the Metropolitan Police Force, and as we might talk about for News International, and the reputations of home secretaries, the escalating cover-up has culminated eventually in a panel report commissioned by Theresa May in 2013. She met with Daniel's mother, Isabel, and she was very moved by it. She said, I will set up an independent panel on the lines of Hillsborough, i.e. not a judicial inquiry or a public inquiry with powers of subpoena, but powers to compel public authorities like the Metropolitan Police to release their staff. And so that was supposed to take two years. Eight years on, they are finally ready. What I hear, the Met did not cooperate at first. And then suddenly at the last moment, as we all discovered last night, this supposedly independent panel was delayed by the Home Secretary Priti Patel. 
And so adding torment, I've met the daughter of Daniel. Obviously, I met the mother. I met the brother and the sister. These people have waited 34 years for some kind of transparency. They won't get justice because, in terms of the legal system because there's just not – you'll never get disclosure. There's so many millions of bits of evidence. It's just impossible that, but they don't want that. What they want is clarity and the panel, you know, thousand-page report, nobody's seen, they haven't seen, promised to get more clarity. And now, thanks to the Home Secretary, it's all been delayed. And we know that the private investigation agency, Southern Investigations, that Daniel Morgan worked for, did have links both with police officers, possibly corrupt police officers, and with the news of the world. That much, I think, is fact. It's also been speculated that Daniel, before he was murdered, was talking to the news of the world about a drugs ring involving corrupt police officers, and that perhaps may have had some link to his death. Well, I wrote a book with Alistair about this, and since then, and a podcast which is almost as successful as this one, uh, had 9.4 million downloads. We since discovered them. A friend of Daniel's came forward and wrote a book, David Bray. And we already had about five or six witnesses saying he had a story of police corruption. That's from the sort of investigations of the time. And he absolutely confirmed this. Daniel was terrified for his life. He was working with another police officer who also died that summer in somewhat suspicious suicide with a gun by his side and no fingerprints on it called Alan Holmes. So we're sure, yeah, that was the reason. He was scared of his life. A lot of witnesses saying at the time, on or off the record, he was killed because he was going to blow the cover on a potentially, and that's what the story floating around, a hundred million pound cocaine importation involving senior Met officers and customs officials. Now that we don't know who is going to meet, there are sources saying it could have been News of the World. Some saying it was the Mirror. He certainly knew a lot of journalists. Daniel, he worked with Private Eye. He founded Southern Investigations, by the way. It wasn't just he worked for them. And what happened after his death is, as was, by the way, forecast by an informant, the bookkeeper, as he said at the inquest, was that Daniel would be killed and this police officer who's on the investigation would take his place. This came out in the inquest in 1988. And lo and behold, that's what happened. And Southern Investigations without Daniel, with this police officer replacing him, became the one-stop shop for the dark arts in Fleet Street. After Daniel had been murdered, and when you say the police officer had taken his place, his police officer took his place in the private investigation agency at Southern Investigations. Yeah, the police officer retired. He had been arrested under a bit of a shadow and replaced. They became a two-part organisation, two heads now with this police officer. And as you say, I mean, this is not, this is on the record because they, third investigation, they put a bug in the premises of Southern Investigations. This was the CIB3, the kind of ghost squad investigating police corruption. One of the first things they did investigating police corruption, the Met was put a bug in Southern Investigations because it was at the center of a lot of police corruption. That's irrefutable. And eventually there were arrests made because they were fitting up with police officers, people in custody cases with cocaine to get custody of the child, all kinds of things. And a report was done that found in the five months they had this bug in the middle of the offices in Thornton Heath, at least 30 media crimes. 
Because basically, as well as dealing with corrupt police and a lot of corrupt police in southeast London at that time, they would deal extensively with the media. They would sort of parlay stories backwards and forwards. They'd also use sort of advanced techniques of computer hacking. They were one of the first to use computer hacking, early phone tapping. And they trained up. They worked nearly, not exclusively, they worked with the Mirror Group, but mainly with News of the World. And they were involved with some of the biggest scandals of the 90s. For example, you may remember, and your listeners may remember, the culture minister in 1992, I think it was, David Meller, saying the press were drinking at the last chance loon because of some egregious infraction. The tabloid press had done again. Lo and behold, it is sudden investigations, which bugs up an apartment where he's having an affair with an actress. And David Meller goes. Likewise, you may remember in the 92 election that Paddy Ashdown was a potential contender or at least shaving enough votes for Neil Kinnock to win. Southern Investigations was involved in brokering this letter from a solicitor's office that had been broken into that he'd been having an affair, leading to this famous front page Paddy Pantstown. They continued like this, working with Mazza Mahmood, the famous fake sheikh, and all kinds of stings throughout the 90s. And the most extraordinary thing, when they were sent to prison and the lead ringleader was sent to prison for five years for fitting up this woman with cocaine, when he comes out, the first person to employ him is the then editor of News of the World, Andy Coulson. And Hardeep, it was the botched murder investigation and these links with the News of the World and other newspapers that the Independent Panel investigated, and it's taken them eight years. What were your thoughts when you heard that the Home Secretary had delayed the publication of the report? It's a really worrying development, the delay of the publication of this report, and it's unprecedented that the Home Secretary should intervene in the publication of a report by an independent panel. And the reasons that have been given are that she has to ensure that it's compatible with human rights law and to ensure that it meets any terms around national security concerns. But really, it's widely believed that this report is going to make explicit for the first time that there is institutional corruption within the Metropolitan Police and there are links to certain corrupt elements within the press and that that has been a major factor in the unsolved murder of Daniel Morgan. And so this is really part of an escalating pattern of ministers in this particular government intervening in reports that don't give findings to their liking. And we've seen this very recently. So just in December, Priti Patel, there was a a Home Office study which was conducted on the so-called grooming gangs issue. And it found, and it was peer-reviewed by authorities in the field, Uh, And it found that there is no particular reason or pattern to link men of British Pakistani heritage with an organized form of grooming and raping of white girls. You know, that that link doesn't exist in the evidence. And Priti Patel wrote in a forward to this report that she was very disappointed with the findings. And she's now initiated a, a new study. Um, Similarly, just in March this year, the Justice Secretary, Robert Buckland, he wasn't happy with the findings of the independent panel on administrative law, which was set up to look at the judicial review system. And he immediately said that, you know, it wasn't what he was expecting and that there'll be another consultation. And then in the same month, we had the release of the Commission on Race and Ethnic Disparities, 
report, which, again, the members of which were handpicked by the government and said that actually, according to their findings, institutional racism isn't really to be found in Britain. You know, the, the differences in outcomes between different groups are often explained by issues other than race. And it was widely condemned by a range of experts in a number of fields. And yet it aligned to the government rhetoric that white working class boys are not being prioritised because of the focus on other minority groups and its wider sort of divide and rule strategy in the culture wars. So this latest delay from Priti Patel with regards to the Daniel Morgan Independent Panel, it really is part of a worrying pattern. And I think it really, it's concerning because it's trying to degrade the very system of independent panel inquiries. And again, it's just another means with which I think the Home Office in this particular case is trying to blur the boundaries between its roles and the functions of certain other independent bodies. And just on a wider point, I think there's always been a question about the independence of the Metropolitan Police in particular. So it's Britain's largest police force. It's the capital's police force, but it also has a number of national security level roles. And the Met Commissioner is appointed by the Home Secretary, and there have always been questions around how independent is it operationally when it reports to the Home Office. And again, within this government, on Priti Patel's watch, what we've seen, I think, is another worrying pattern of increasing politicisation of policing, seen as an extension of the arm of the state. And so there's just a report in the Times newspaper today about one chief constable who is saying that he's very concerned that there is this blurring and that he said that Priti Patel is overstepping the mark with regards to interfering in some operational matters. No police force should be too close to be aligned to any political party. So there's two things going on. It's part of a wider pattern of ministers intervening in independent reports which are not to their liking. I think it's a wider pattern of how operationally independent is the Met Police from the Home Office? And is that just going to get worse under Priti Patel, who seems very keen to use the police as an arm of the state? And we should make it clear as well that the independent panel did have the confidence of the family of Daniel Morgan. His brother, Alistair, has been a, an indefatigable campaigner on his behalf. The independent panel wrote to people who had been named in the report before it was published and sought their response to what was being said about them. And they also ensured that there were no security issues. They got that clearance from the Metropolitan Police Beforehand, So it's difficult to fathom exactly what, in reality, Priti Patel is trying to establish by delaying the report. Yes, um, I had the letter myself because I'm named in the report. There are apparently no criticisms. But uh, everybody who's been criticised in the report uh, will have had a letter. So you have to wonder who has put the kibosh on this. I mean, the obvious natural initial suspect would be the Metropolitan Police because it's well documented. They, the panel was so slow. It should have been only two years. It's taken eight, partly because of their, sort of, let's say, lack of cooperation in the early days. But my feeling is it goes further afield. It's pretty clear that the Met will be criticized at a very high level. 
my expectation is that the report will talk about institutional corruption in the same way the McPherson report 20 years ago into the murder of Stephen Lawrence spoke about institutional racism. But I still don't think that's where the blockage is really coming because the Met would have known the documents they've handed over would have been what they call Maxwellization or Salmondization. This is when you're sent the letter uh, to challenge and respond to any criticisms being made. I think, and I can't prove it, and it's only a hunch, that the biggest criticism, the biggest block on this, would have come from what is now known as News UK, used to be called News International. And their extensive work over 21 years with the murder suspects in the Daniel Morgan murder. Their interference, by the way, in the last two inquiries, there were two inquiries, Abelard 1 and 2, 2002 and 2006. 2002, the lead investigating officer and his family were followed, they thought, by the gangsters, but it turned out to be news of the world's photographer, Mazama Mood's photographer. They were bugged. They claimed they had their credit cards broken into. And the same thing happened again in the last murder investigation in 2006. That was top secret. Because it was so sensitive, involved met corruption, involved gangland, that only a tiny circle of people knew about it, that they were going for a fifth murder investigation with some new evidence. And yet, it's on the record, it's on intercepts, that the suspects knew about the fifth murder investigation with News of the World executives before the family did. So we have a high level now of you know, that there's a, let's put it this way, there's a great reputational risk for News International beyond phone hacking. Rebecca Brooks said famously to a town hall meeting in News of the World when she closed down News of the World after the Millie Dallas scandal, the news that the voicemail of a young teenage murder victim had been hacked, there's something worse coming down the line. I'm pretty sure she knew that the Daniel Morgan murder was even worse reputationally for News of the World, and it still is for. News International, News UK as it is now. I'll just observe one thing. I'm not going to read too much into it. But there were two MPs invited to Rupert Murdoch's wedding to Jerry Hall in 2016. One is the current head of the cabinet, or what's cabinet secretary, isn't he? Um, Hadib. Michael Gove, who has a long-established relationship with Rupert Murdoch. In fact, when he wasn't in government, went to interview Donald Trump with Rupert Murdoch, a columnist for the Sunday Times, lots of book contracts. The surprise second other MP, which I was shocked to realise this, I'd forgotten this, was Priti Patel, a backbencher, I think, or a junior minister at that time. She turned up to the wedding. Now, we've done some investigation to numerous meetings between senior Murdoch executives and members of this government. One of the most recent, by the way, was last September, a dinner meeting with Priti Patel and Rupert Murdoch. So you have to ask yourself, given that we've seen a history of ministers, especially Home Secretaries, going back to Blunkett, who was friends with Rebecca Brooks, running, let's say, cautiously around this big newspaper group which could make or break their careers in many ways, to what extent the Home Secretary now is too close to the Murdochs, is swayed by the potential reputational damage, not to the Met, but to News UK and the Murdoch empire here. And we've spoken previously on this podcast about how the second part of the Leveson inquiry into the media was going to investigate links between the media and particularly the newspapers and corrupt police officers. And after extensive lobbying by the papers, the government decided that Leveson 2 wouldn't go ahead. 
Well, this is very sad. I mean, how do you understand the difference between a public inquiry and a panel inquiry better than I do? But one of the reasons Alistair accepted and his family accepted Theresa May's proposal in 2013 of a panel inquiry, which is slightly more limited, it doesn't have powers of subpoena, it can't compel witnesses. I haven't seen the report, but by the sound of it, there's been no cooperation from News UK and their extensive files of around further investigations, was that he'd accepted that because he always thought that Leveson 2 would come along. And Leveson 2, as you say, the delayed part of Leveson 1, went waiting till the trials were over, so there was no contempt of those trials, had powers of subpoena, could compel witnesses on oath. And so now we're in the situation where Leveson 2 was, they said, oh, we're cancelling Leveson 2, you've got the Daniel Morgan panel. And now Daniel Morgan panel report has been delayed. And at the heart of this is a family who lost a brother, sorry, as well as the public interest that this corruption has gone on and on and on. The cover-up has been going on for 34 years. I think, you know, and I've said this many times, uh, phone hacking was the tip of the iceberg, and the bottom of the iceberg were the dark hearts combined with police corruption, the body of Daniel Morgan. And the sad thing is now, and Alistair's written about this for Byline Times, is the longer it goes on, the more the corruption taints other people. And now I see it laps around the government. It laps around Boris Johnson, who said phone hacking was left-wing codswallop, was quite close to Rebecca Brooks. It laps around Priti Patel. It laps around Michael Gove. All have stronger, more or less, connections to both the state, the police, and this media empire that can make and break their careers. I think it's really interesting at the moment, the word corruption has been said more often in the last couple of months than I think I've ever heard it with regards to the British political system. And there is still a feeling, I think, that it's a taboo to say or even raise the issue or the question that actually there could be something very corrupt at the heart of the British state. And yet, I think it is something that we need to start confronting because Corruption often doesn't have just one smoking gun. It's not this clear-cut thing. Corruption is often the water that people swim in. It's a cultural way of behaving that just becomes normalised. And it has its own rules and it has its own terms of play. And I think what we're really not good at in this country is confronting that because it's such a big thing to take on in a way, isn't it? And we've been reporting a lot on Byline Times with regards to a lot of these PPE contracts going to firms with links to the Conservative Party. Some of our readers often say, why do you call it cronyism? Why not corruption? And we say, well, legally, we publish on a journalistic news site, corruption has a very defined term with regards to where crimes have been committed and or there's a suggestion that there's a criminal element. But actually, I think there is a wider point that our readers are right about, that corruption is, is a bigger thing. It's a culture. I think what is why it's so important for this panel report to be published, especially before the House of Commons rises on the 27th of May, because otherwise it's kicked and kicked into the long grass. We are at a moment, I think, where people are looking at the notion of corruption in a wider sense, and we need to confront this as a country in terms of what is really going on underneath. What are the structures on which most of power in Britain is based? 
the McPherson inquiry many years ago really was a seminal point by saying that there is institutional corruption in the Metropolitan Police and that contributed to the botched handling of the Stephen Lawrence murder. We did come to a moment as a country where we accepted there is institutional racism. Can we get to the point as a country where we can say there is institutional corruption in the British state? I can see why that is quite a big thing for politicians and why they might not want to take that on. This is the thing that we're always driving at and we're never really saying. And I think that's what Alistair Morgan and his family really want out there. That this corruption, like Peter said, it ends up tainting so many people. It's about people's lives. It's not about a contract, you know, some piece of paper somewhere that's been emailed to someone saying you're being paid millions of pounds for this PPE. It's about a man who was a father and a son and a brother who had a life who was murdered and no one's been convicted of the crime. And it's all about other people looking after themselves. And that is the real cost of corruption. There is a human face to it. And in this country, we will do whatever we can, I think, historically and in the modern day, to not confront that. As Hardeep says, this is no longer abstract. This is no longer a piece of paper or a bit of money. Two kids lost their father. A wife lost her husband. A mother lost her son. A sister lost her brother. The thing that really interesting about the family is they lost trust in the state because of the police corruption. And the way Alice always says, well, I know there are dodgy people in southeast London, but I never thought the cops were dodgy. And this has undermined the whole belief in the British state. Disturbing stuff. That's Peter Jukes and before that, Hardeep Matharu. And rest assured, we'll keep you updated on the story at bylinetimes.com. I'm Adrian Goldberg and you've been listening to the Byline Times podcast. We're funded by subscriptions to the monthly newspaper, The Byline Times. Subscribers also support Byline TV and our news-breaking website, bylinetimes.com. If you want to subscribe, and it's great value, from just £36 a year, head to bylinetimes.com. That's bylinetimes.com. Thanks for listening. See you next time.